This is the Infinite Games Podcast with Chris and Austin, the show where we talk about old school games, collecting, YouTube, and more. This is episode 59, the 2013 Retro Gaming Awards. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy, and with me as always, Austin Mackert. Austin, how are you? I'm good. A little cold, but I'm good. (laughs) Right. So today uh, we have something a little special for you, a little different. We did this a couple years ago, but uh, we are going to do... In Austin, I don't think we decided. Is this the 2013 or 2014 uh, Retro Gaming Awards? <laughs> 2013, because technically this is for games that we experienced throughout 2013. I was going to look up like the award shows that like happen at the beginning of the year to see what they do, and then I just sort of didn't... We know we were supposed to record this before the new year actually hit, so you know, yes. it, yeah, supposed to be 2013. So it's the 2013 Retro Gaming Awards. So what me and Austin uh, came up with over the past week is we've got a few different categories. Uh, we've painstakingly gone through all of the games we've played over uh, the 2013 year, and uh, hopefully uh, this will be uh, entertaining. Yeah, so if you guys haven't listened to the episode from a couple years back, basically what we do is we rate the best and worst games that we have played uh, retro-oriented anyway, for the most part. There's some exceptions here and there for uh, the past year. So as Chris mentioned, we've got them divided up in the categories and whatnot. Uh, and we have a couple other uh, interesting categories as well, like biggest surprise of the year and uh, the absolute <laughs> worst game of the year that we've played and so forth. So this should be a fun episode. I really had fun doing the last one a couple years ago, and we were supposed to do one last year, but uh, I believe uh, the holidays was actually pretty hectic for you and myself, Chris, last year. Yeah. Uh, I think that was probably the reason why we never got around to it. I don't think it was till like mid-January or later that we actually got to recording an episode. Uh, last year so but we've got it here for you this year guys so it'll be good first category will be the top five retro games uh of 2013 so this is pretty much just what we've played so the the game pool has no rhyme or reason other than these are games that we spent a significant amount of time with uh during last year so let's start with the first one that we both picked austin uh, well um, i'm gonna start from uh i'm gonna work my way from number five down to number one my favorite uh so uh starting so austin's for me, are in order and mine are not <laughs> mine are just rough <laughs> all right go ahead <laughs> Well, my fifth favorite game this year uh, was Dragon Force for the Sega Saturn. Uh, I'm not sure if we ever really talked about it on the podcast, uh, but I did do a lengthy, casual look at video uh, earlier on in the year where I literally played it for like an hour on camera. It was basically like a Let's Play, but not really. You know, I was just literally spending the whole time explaining how the game works. It's that involved. And, uh, you know, Dragon Force is a game for the Sega Saturn that I actually played quite a bit in the late 90s and I completed it once back then uh, and it took quite a bit of time to do so and a lot lot of effort but it was a lot of fun Uh, and ever since then I've been meaning to revisit it and since I had picked up a copy earlier on in 2013 uh, I decided I'd go ahead and sit back down with it again and I actually plugged away at this game for weeks and uh, I didn't finish it unfortunately but I I made a good uh, you know 
dent? Uh, a good a good dent into it. And um, you know, I had a, a ton of fun doing it. The game is for those of you that haven't played it, it's sort of a <laughs> it's an interesting hybrid of sorts. It's kinda like uh, sort of turn based like a military strategy kinda sort of uh, mixed with um uh, like social managing uh, elements, uh, like managing, I don't want to say economies, but it's like your armies and, you know, politics and things like that. Kind of like the romance of the Three Kingdoms games, but not so deep to that level. Um, and uh, it's also got a mixture of like um, Japanese RPGs, you know, so it's a, it's a nice hybrid of sorts. And uh, go check out some videos on it, see if it's your cup of tea. But that was definitely one of my favorite games I played this year. Uh, it still holds up great. Uh, the soundtrack is great. The graphics are cool. It'll have, uh, like 200 soldiers on the screen at once and they're all scaling. You know, they get pixelated, but I love that look for the sake of Saturn. And it never slows down or anything like that. It's a really, really solid game. Still holds up great today. And I've never played it. <laughs> you probably never will, because I know I it's not it's not up your alley. But uh, you have uh, my videos to watch instead, so you don't have to play it, Chris. Just watch me play it. Excellent. I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me explain how to play for an hour. Oh dear. <laughs> I haven't played many uh, strategy or real time strategy games at all. Yeah, it's a it's a genre that's quite unfamiliar to me. I think I yeah, own it's... I own something on the PlayStation. A friend got for me, and I, I've never put it in. Yeah, I mean, there's a wide variety of strategy games, and Dragon Force wouldn't necessarily fall into real-time strategy. I mean, sort of it is. I mean, it kind of is, but when I think real-time strategy, I think games like Warcraft, Command & Conquer, uh, Starcraft, things like that, uh, where you're constantly managing an army, and you point and click, tell them where to go, and they automatically attack on their own. And Dragon Force isn't really quite like that. Uh, you'll actually get into battles, and you'll have armies dueling it out and your fighters kind of just automatically doing their own thing it's kind of complicated but go watch a video of it and uh check it out so uh not to let this go on for too long we have a lot of games to talk about this episode what was your uh yours chris your your pick your next my pick. number five will be sonic and sega all-stars racing which i think was on the ps3 360 and possibly the wii and the ds uh, yeah, not really sure. Yeah, so I, I played no it on idea. the 360, <laughs> and so this is kind of stretching the uh, the retro theme um, in a way, but in a way it's kind of not. It's uh, it's an arcade style racing game. I mean, it's classic retro it's, style. It, it's very I, classic actually, you know, Sega. You know, Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing is probably the proper term for retro. Is that it's a mm -hmm. modern game that plays like an old game. Yeah, you know, it's an old arcade style racing game, so mm -hmm. it it is retro. <laughs> it very much feels like a, a Sega racing game from the '90s. Mm -hmm. um, it's beautiful. Uh, it's good to look at. The track designs are are really fantastic. Obviously, it's got Sonic, which is a classic character, and a lot of other uh, Sega touches from their you know past three decades of game making. And uh, it very much feels like a you know a retro game uh, done on a modern system, and one that actually really surprised me, Austin. Um, I had kind of given up on Sega um, yeah. a long <laughs> time ago. Did. After the Dreamcast died, and you know the, that kind of spark was gone, but uh, this one actually was really surprising. I picked it up because it was cheap, and I figured, why not? And uh, I was totally blown away. A really, really good game. 
really good music. It just feels like, um, you know, it reminds me of playing Daytona USA in the arcades or Sega Rally in the arcade, where it's just like loud and obnoxious and fast and in your face. Um, so it doesn't feel like Mario Kart at all. Um, it's just, it's kind of its own thing. I'm sure it borrows themes from something that I oh, haven't yeah. played before. It, it but. borrows a lot of elements from Mario Kart, like your weapons and how you can mm-hmm. wiggle back and forth while your power sliding to get an extra boost and stuff like that. But it takes so much out of Sega's back catalog. Like you have stage designed, stages designed around specific like Sega characters and franchises. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, and you know you can't go wrong. You know your you, you know your game's good when it's featured in several episodes of Breaking Bad. <laughs> right on. <laughs> but no, I, I can't vouch for the Wii version. Um, but the 360 is fan, is really really good. Um, yeah. You know, high def widescreen, and I'm sure the PS3 is probably exactly See, the I same. Don't, I don't know if it was actually released for the actual Wii. I, I think it might have been, but I, I'm not sure. Um, but the the sequel, the follow up, was released in the Wii U. And I actually had that uh, for the first part of 2013. I eventually traded it in. Uh, I would like to pick it back up, actually. But uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, I especially loved the Panzer Dragoon stage uh, in the Wii U version. But uh, good stuff. It looks like you're right, Austin. No, it is Wii, DS, PS3, and Xbox. Cool. And Mac OS and Arcade and iOS and Android and BlackBerry. (laughs) I don't know if it was released on Windows or not. All right, well, moving on. Um, my next pick uh, going down the list is, this might come as a, sort of unexpected to some of you guys, but it is Tropic Island Pinball for the Apple, or I should say Bandai Apple Pippin system. Yes. Uh, this this game was a major surprise to me because, uh, well, obviously it was kind of an impulse buy for me, as I explained on an earlier episode in the year. Uh, I saw this game on eBay. I was just looking for Pippin games casually, and then I saw this game, and as I kind of eyed it and zoomed in a little bit closer, I was like, whoa, this is a, a pinball game. And you guys know I'm really big in the pinball these days. So you? I went ahead and bought it because I eventually wanted to get a Pippin, but yeah. uh, I was ev- I was just going to keep it on the shelf. But then... Um, you know how I am impulse buying expensive things <laughs> like the Xbox One <coughs> I bought last week. Um, um got a cold, I think. Should have bought an XRGB Mini. Um, Just saying. Shh. They don't sell those at Walmart. <laughs> uh, they should. <laughs> but, Sorry, uh, Tropic Island Pinball. Yeah, I, I ended up impulse buying the Pippin, and I was crossing my fingers this pinball game was good, but it turned out... It was great. It was a really, really good uh, digital pinball game. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, uh, real pinball skills you can do, which weighs heavily for me in terms of whether I think a digital console pinball game is good or not. Uh, because if you can't control the ball and make your shots as a result of it and, you know, really control the flow of the game, it's not a good pinball game, period, mm-hmm. because that's half of real pinball. <laughs> you yeah. have to be able to control it, you know. And if a game doesn't let you do that, the flippers don't feel good, it's, yeah, no fun. But Tropic Island was great. It's, it you know, it's a kind of an old-school PC-style one where it's just straight, top-down, 2D all the way. The whole play field fits on one screen. It's kind of hard to see the objects and the shots and whatever, but you eventually get into a rhythm and start figuring things out. And it's got a nice rule set, lots of different shot varieties. It's got multiple upper flippers, um, multi-balls. It's even got a video mode that he eventually discovered. 
and you move this little like tropic island looking girl like across the screen and you're doing something with it and uh it's a really really cool game I'm, um i'll eventually do a video on it but uh and then box the pippin up because it's the only game i have for it <laughs> <laughs> but it's a uh, definitely a great game so uh what's your next one chris uh, my next pick is Princess Rescue on the Atari 2600. Very nice. Um, not a huge 2600 fan, uh, but this is a, a fan-made remix or remake of the uh, original Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo Entertainment System. And uh, I actually thought it was just a really well-put-together game. Um, it was a lot of fun to play, um, despite its being fairly basic and uh, as a 2600 game it's it's really impressive with the uh, with the scrolling uh with the background music with the two button controls and uh just the scope of the game is is so much grander than any other 2600 game i've ever played um so it's it's kind of sad that you can't purchase it anymore uh as we've discussed on previous episodes so it'll be an eBay only you know probably overpriced item for a long time but uh if you do ever get a chance to play it um it will probably blow you away because it is a really quality homebrew Absolutely. And just keep in mind, guys, if you want to check out this game, you can download the ROM still, at least, from the oh, Atari Age forums. So you can play it in emulation, or if you're like me and you've got a Harmony cart or another Flash cart for the 2600, you can play it that way as well. So you definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't done so yet. All right, Austin, number three. Uh, number three for me, and we're counting down again, so number one is the best. Uh, Mindstorm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to explain it. You have to explain now, it to children. me because it's actually not counting down. You're working your way from the bottom up. I guess you could look at it that way. <laughs> Mindstorm right. on the Vectrex. Mindstorm on the Vectrex for me. Uh, the Vectrex, again, we, we talked about this several episodes back, was... Uh, uh, rather, I don't want to say an impulse buy. It kind of was, but again, one of our listeners actually approached me about uh, selling the system to me, and it was a fantastic deal. Uh, he gave me an excellent deal, and I still have everything still to this day. It's great. And the Vectrix is actually still hooked up out in my living room. <laughs> awesome. Um, but I was absolutely blown away by the system, and my favorite game with it uh, was the simple pack-in, and that's Mindstorm. And uh, we've talked about it previously, but Mindstorm, I just think, is a great sort of Asteroids-style uh, arcade-like game. Um, but I actually enjoy it more than Asteroids. Uh, Mindstorm feels... It almost feels like there's a little more strategy involved to a degree because mm -hmm. all the stars you see in the background, well, those, that's where the enemies are going to appear. So you have to kind of position yourself around that. And, uh, you know, it's got a very controllable sort of like enemy patterns, like in Tempest 2000. Like, uh, if you know how the enemies patterns work and like how they explode or what sorts of little like homing bullets they shoot at you, if you know like the traje trajectory of those, you can like dominate it. Uh, you can get really far in the game once you practice it. And, um, that sort of gameplay, much like say Tempest 2000, uh, is quite addictive for me. And I played Mindstorm for a good at least week and a half after picking up the system. I would just come home from work and play Mindstorm for about a half an hour to an hour every night. And, um, yeah, it's still a great game on a, a ton of fun to play. So, um, when's the last time you played your Vectrex, Chris? Uh, and my Mind birthday. 
<laughs> which was just recently, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, December 17th. So uh, that's my pick as well, number three, Mindstorm on the Vectrex. Uh, nice. Like Austin, I got my Vectrex in 2013 uh, at the beginning of the year. Austin, I think you got yours at the end of the year, like you said. About halfway and, through, uh, yeah. Mindstorm <clears throat> is exactly like you said. Uh, the Vectrex, if you've watched like, classic Game Room um, on YouTube or formerly on YouTube, he talks about it. You know, I'd say on 20% of every episode of everything that he does. And it's for good reason. It's It's got to be the coolest, like, pre-NES system, in my opinion. Possibly the coolest, like, 80 system, period. I agree. Um, yeah. You know, its own built-in vector monitor, uh, a decent controller for its era. And uh, the graphics and sound are so much more advanced than, than anything else, especially the sound. Um, but Mindstorm is, is absolutely amazing. Um, and I hadn't really ever played Asteroids uh, to any extent before, but uh, the pack in Mindstorm is is what I've played more on that than anything else. Yeah, yeah, same here. Uh, and I have quite a handful of games with it mm-hmm. and a multi cart, and I still play Mindstorm. So, yeah. so and kind of kind of like uh, sidetracking off the main topic a little bit, uh, I did want to mention that uh, one Atari Age member, uh, Blazing Lasers, he actually. Uh, picked up my samsung hd crt television last week and nice. he, he lives up in like maryland he's like an hour away yeah. and so but he's a huge vectrex fan and so he brought over a, a homebrew vector pilot oh, and cool. I, i've seen nice in games review this when it came out but wow <laughs> what a phenomenal looking game and a ton of fun to play it's uh to take on time pilot and uh but when you were mentioning like wow this was like one of the most impressive systems of the 80s but it's like these homebrewers are doing things even better than what was originally available back in uh the early 80s so uh really cool stuff that's happening with the vectrex it seems austin i'm not an expert but the fact that both of us you know own one uh, it seems to be a fairly reliable system yeah um uh, yeah i think so I haven't really ever heard of anybody having issues, and uh, mine fires up just like you'd expect an old TV to every time. <laughs> Very nice. Why don't you uh, go ahead and do your next one as well, Chris, actually? All right, number two on my top five games of 2013 is actually Sledstorm on the original PlayStation. Really? Um, I think this is possibly one of the... It's, it's easily one of my top five racing games of all time. Um I remember playing this when it was newish back in the 90s and being blown away by, well, at the time, how realistic it seemed, you know, because um, the snow actually, you know, looked like snow and the environments looked like they were supposed to. And the soundtrack was really cool at the time, um, you know, coming from the Genesis, having, um, you know, Dragula playing through your TV was a was a novelty. Um, but I still find the physics, while probably not very accurate, are still very predictable and very fun. And uh, I think that's the most important part about a game. But I still find the physics and the uh, the track design in Sledstorm to be an absolute blast to play, um, despite all the problems with PlayStation, like clipping and <clears throat> the warping of the textures and stuff. But it has a nice mix of... I would assume to be like the a lot of the snow is just uh, guru shaded, so there's no warping or anything like that, and that helps some of the other things look better. But as a whole, it's a, a very playable game, and uh, it progresses really nicely from being really easy at the beginning uh, to upgrading and getting to some of the tougher tracks at the end. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's one of those games where 
Um, I don't play a lot of modern racing games, but there's so many different shortcuts in all of the levels, and that's half the fun. And it's kind of fun going back and playing a game you haven't played in a while and still remembering where some of those are and trying to rediscover. That's what's great about a a lot of those arcade-style racing games of the 90s, especially the Midway ones like San Francisco Rush and Hydro Thunder. It was all about the secrets, and in mm-hmm. in the case of those games, especially, sometimes you had to find the secrets, otherwise or you weren't you beating that. Yeah. yeah, you weren't beating that AI. So um, that's cool. I'm gonna have to eventually check out Sledstorm. I know it's a really common game that's really cheap. Yeah, uh, wasn't so it published you... by EA? Yep, it's an EA game. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much all EA games are cheap. Right on PlayStation. before they sold, they're sold to the devil. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's I, I, so you haven't played it before, Austin. I have not. No. Ah, you're, if you, yeah, you like '90s racers, you'll love it. It's a blast. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out, and we'll have to talk about it on a later episode. Uh, maybe even East Starland has it. They probably do. They've got pretty much. I think I see it at pretty much uh, all the local stores, and I don't think, yeah, I'm sure East Arland will definitely have it. But if you're looking for a good racing game and an excuse to hook up your PlayStation, it just doesn't get any better. Well, they have a disc-only copy, (laughs) $2.48. Can you do disc-only, or is that against your religion? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> no, I've actually... I, I might just hold off on it and wait till a complete one comes in. Or, right I don't know, we'll see. One of these yeah, days, I'll get around been. to it. Because, I mean, if you recommend it and you say I'll like it, I'll probably like it. Because yeah. I'm not as picky as you, Chris. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot better <laughs> than, like, Musha on the Genesis, for example. <laughs> oh, All right, what's your number blow. two, Austin? <laughs> number two for me isn't really, I don't want to say retro per se, but it is a game that's 12 years old or almost 13 years old now. Yeah. And that is Halo for the original Xbox. And I actually started playing this one just at the very end of the year because I got a brand new HDTV uh, and I was ah. playing the anniversary edition on my 360, which I also picked up because it's really cheap used now, like 10 bucks. Nice. Um, so, and, you know, right before I actually started playing this, I was playing Halo 4, and I beat it, and I was like, you know, it was a pretty good game, but, you know, something, it just, nothing really stood out to me about yeah. the game, you know. Good game. I recommend playing it. You know, great graphics. It's but fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's just not Halo 1. Yeah. So, as, like, an experiment, I, I loaded up Halo 1 and, uh, um, through the anniversary collection again, and, uh... I was like, wow, smiling right from the beginning as I was playing. <laughs> it's just an amazing game that still holds up well. It's so yeah. much more, uh, f- so many more firefights that happen in that game, whereas Halo 4, it's just like, the oh, there's an enemy, grind. pick him up, yeah. you know, sit behind a pillar for a second, rinse and repeat. It's like a grind, whereas Halo yeah. 1, uh, Halo 1 definitely has grindy segments for sure, especially if you want to survive on the hard, uh, sorry, higher difficulty levels. Mm-hmm. But uh, right from the beginning, you're fighting like five to ten enemies at a time, and you don't yeah. have that in Halo 4. It's And my, my actual uh, <laughs> theory about Halo 4 is it was kind of like Doom 3, whereas the graphics were so advanced for the platform it was running on, they had to limit yeah. the amount of enemies on screen at once in order to keep a good frame rate. Uh, so, you know, Halo 1 is just such a great game. It's a classic. Uh, not even counting the multiplayer. And Chris, you and I have talked about it multiple yeah. times. Uh, even recently, now that I think about it, I think a few episodes back we talked about it. Mm-hmm. So we won't talk about it too much here. But uh, I have to say that's definitely one of the... Still, 
you know the single a, player is still worth playing and it's excellent. aged really well and the controls yeah. are excellent you know, yep yeah, everything's excellent yeah and if you can uh if you have a 360 and an hd tv play the anniversary edition because you have the option between playing with the old original xbox graphics mm-hmm. and the new sort of halo 3 ish graphics you know yep. uh, they completely you know changed the uh the polygon models and stuff like that and added new textures to everything and it's it's nice yeah um the lighting, everything. It's actually really, yeah, it's very fun to switch back and forth. Yeah, some areas it's actually improved. Like, you, if you try to play the library, it's so dark on the original version, uh, and it's hard to see where you're going. But on the on the new version, they added this extra lighting, so you can kind of see all the way down the hallways and so forth. Uh, so in some areas, they actually kind of adjusted the game a little bit with the new graphic system. So um, well, one of the things that really, uh, to me, is funny about Halo is how bad your um, your fellow soldiers are. They're almost useless. And in <laughs> Halo 2, it was like a huge step up where they mm-hmm. actually worked as a coordinated unit. But in the first Halo, they make no sense. And oh, I know yeah. that pretty much any chance I can, if I have, you know, if there's a soldier in front of me and he has a sniper rifle, he's getting hit in the back of the head so I can have it. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's how everybody plays it. <laughs> I did have one moment where I was like, I, I, I'm out of assault rifle rounds and the only ammunition was the soldier next to me. So I went thwack and it was like, you have 600 bullets now. <laughs> like, yes. But there's some levels where it's very stingy with the availability of the sniper rifle and... Yep. Uh, it's just whack and uh, there's like a satisfying clunk in the original halo (laughs) and uh, cracking somebody in the back of the head that's not quite replicated no no and you know what's funny is like in the modern halos you know an enemy you knock them down and they sit in the ground you thwack them not not really much happens but in the first halo one thing that was so funny (laughs) is you you kill an enemy and you go down you just keep smacking them and like blood keeps splattering Mm -hmm. everywhere and it's like alien blood it's like blue and greenish it's like neon color and you just it keeps going everywhere it doesn't stop and um you know with the modern (laughs) ones like halo 4 after you uh, proceed forward a certain amount, the enemies disappear. <laughs> the corpses disappear. That doesn't happen in the first Halo. Like, everything stays. It's, it's just such a better game overall and a more satisfying uh, single-player experience, I think. Um, so that's, that's, yeah, good pick. I actually was surprised to see that on your list, but it's totally appropriate. <laughs> Well, the first Halo is a game I do revisit uh, once every couple of years or so because it's such a good single-player game. And, uh, you know, I was so into Halo 4 in terms of, like, being on point. Like, I had just played through a 15 or 12 to 15-hour campaign in, like, two days. Yeah. You know, or maybe it was, like, 10 hours. But I I literally beat it in two days, start to finish. And so I was like, okay, let me see how I can do Halo the original, and I cranked the difficulty up to heroic. I wasn't going to, you know, try to kill myself with legendary because I know how that can be. Um, but I just, like, bolted through that first and second <laughs> level. I was just like, bam, 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 like, getting really aggressive. And mm-hmm. you couldn't really do that in Halo 4. It was like Halo 4 with how the enemies were designed. You had to sit behind walls, and the enemies took a lot of hits just to break their shields because... Most enemies in that game had shields, whereas in the original Halo, only like the elites had your shields mm-hmm. um, or barriers you had to break down before you could get the headshot and kill them in one or two hits, you know. But uh, it was just 
so fun. You just run and gun, and you could be a lot more aggressive and risky. And, uh, you know, that's what makes a good first-person shooter partially good, is being able to do things like that, not limited to having to always hide behind a rock or something. Peek out, fire a couple shots, and hide again. That's just, you know, that's like a grind. It's just... It's old. It gets old. Yeah. <laughs> so Halo One has a little more variety, I'd have to say, in terms of you know play style. So, so I guess uh, am I the last? Oh no, um, we still have number one to go. Yeah, we still have number one to go. All right, all let's right. Do it. Is it me or you? Should we flip a coin? A no. Digital coin. I'll go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. My top five game of 2013 is Mega Man 2 on the original NES. That just completely surprises me. It's a good <laughs> game. When we first started <laughs> recording the the podcast, you were just like, "Yeah, I've never really played a Mega Man game. Yeah. I don't really understand it." Uh, <laughs> and now you're yeah. like, "It's my favorite game of 2013." Yeah. Well, I'm. Sure, I'm not alone. There's probably plenty of people that haven't played the Mega Man series, but uh, if you haven't, I would, like we've mentioned on previous episodes, you know, snag your copy of Mega Man 2. I think I got mine for 15 bucks. It's not a hard game to acquire. And uh, yeah, really, really solid NES game. Um, still holds up well. The controls start off a little stiff, but it doesn't take long at all before you really get the feel of the momentum and the jumping and the shooting and everything else. It's just a very tight really well controlled um actually like the levels aren't that long so you feel like you're making progress um and you want to keep going uh some of the boss battles are a little i don't know unimpressive or cheap feeling um but overall austin i i nothing i don't know if anything else really comes close to to mega man 2 on the nes just as far as an overall satisfying experience graphics sound controls fun well, around the time that game came out, that's when NES games, I think, were really, really starting to mature, mm-hmm. and developers were starting to really just do some things that the system probably wasn't originally designed to do, uh, and probably around this time is when you had like the memory mappers and so forth. Like, I doubt Mega Man 2 just runs on stock NES hardware. Yeah, I'm sure it's got uh, some form of memory mapper in there. Um, but it is still to this day, I mean, an amazing game. So much fun, great soundtrack. I mean, you know what I really like yeah. about the graphics is like how big and chunky some things are. Um, it's like a, almost the opposite of Ninja Gaiden, which yeah. uh, tries to throw in a lot of like texture and detail. Well, it's where a Mega little, uh, Man keeps it, it, it like, like simple say, and cartoony. Br- that's what I was going to say. It was more cartoony, uh, to a degree, like, like when you start off on Woodman stage, it's got like detailed leaves and trees and so forth. Not quite as cartoony, but when you're on like Airman stage, yeah. it's you know the big, big uh, red guys, things. yeah, that come up. Uh, so no, I or like that you fight the dragon uh, on the first stage of Wily's Castle, and that's mm-hmm. it. Almost looks like uh, anime, so yeah. to say. You know, big, bright, uh, you know, chunky, like you said. So really, yeah, it's got its own feel. Everything's big and bright and bold. Yeah, absolutely. Not everything is an 8x8 or an 8x16 pixel. <laughs> wow, it has curves. Yeah, curves. What? I've never How seen that on an NES, NES do game? this? <laughs> like, can imagine, like, when that game came out, because, like, I was too young to really notice these things or changes, but, like, if, like, 
15 year olds or 20 year olds that saw it for the first time like wow it's not like you said it's got curves to it yeah <laughs> like that was like us like in the 90s like whoa it's 3d yeah <laughs> that's so funny you know i'm starting to think about a lot of the nes games i've played you know like the original you know that was a huge difference between mario mario 2 and mario 3 like mario 3 had hills and yeah. they were like different angles, and I'm like, you could slide down Mike, them. He and slides, <laughs> and his angle changes. How is that possible? Like mind blown. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. I don't know if you saw it, but I on your website, uh, I have just not yesterday, yet watched it. I, I know I, it's there. I posted the Mario Three long play. Uh, so Damien said he used that. warp whistles, and I'm like, ah, forget it. I'll watch it later. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. I don't watch your videos either, man. All right, right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Number one for me is uh, this is probably predictable for some of you guys. Uh, is Super Castlevania Four on the Super Nintendo? Uh, probably one of my all-time favorite games, and it's a game that I kind of play every year, probably a couple times, just because yeah, I somehow work my way back to it miraculously um as many of you guys know and you especially chris because you followed it is i did a castlevania let's play marathon back in october and i watched every freaking video for what it's <laughs> worth and some of them were quite long that's like 15 hours worth of content yeah. if not more i mean wow so give me um, some slack on the mario 3 <laughs> yeah no hey it's okay man i wasn't expecting you to watch it i just wanted to say hey it's on your website Right. And for those of you guys listening, go to his website, implantgames.com, and check out the Mario 3 long play. It's not that long, like a half an hour. But uh, yeah, Super Castlevania 4 was one of those games I covered in the Castlevania 2013 Let's Play Marathon. And, uh, you know, it, like I said, it's one of my favorite games of all time. I play it every year. So it's, you know, if we did one of these episodes every year, chances are that game would probably be on it. Because <laughs> you played it. Actually, actually, you know what? I'd have to force it off the list like it, I did Ninja Gaiden this year. Yeah. Like, it has to take a year break <laughs> before. So 2014, yeah. no Super Castlevania. Yeah. So, but that means Ninja Gaiden can be yes. back on it, though. Absolutely. Because so, I played that game like five times Maybe a year I'll beat at least. That this year. All right, Super Castlevania 4, Austin. One of the things I noticed with that video, I own Castlevania Bloodlines. It's just how much um, better uh, Super Castlevania looks and how much um, the controls, I don't know. It seems like the jump is different and easier to control, and it seems like the whipping mechanic is is steps above what's available um, on Bloodlines for the Genesis. Yeah, I mean, it is and it isn't. It depends on your taste. Like the jumping, for instance, it is very... uh I want to say stiff, but it is easy to jump. It's kind of like, it's hard to explain. But the nice thing about Super Castlevania 4 is if you screw up, you can, uh, you, you can control your jump mid-air, which was the first Castlevania you could do that. <laughs> uh, Bloodlines, if you jump in one direction, you can't control it back. So you've got to, just like the old Castlevania games, you've got to make sure that when you're jumping in a direction that you're going to have something to land on or or you don't hit an enemy or something. But Super Castlevania 4, it's a lot more lenient in that regard. So uh, it's definitely um, a lot of people say it's the easiest Castlevania game in the series. And I think to a degree it is. Um, actually, yeah, it is. It's pretty easy. <laughs> well, I mean, but I've also see it's kind of not fair for me to say you that don't because know. you have no idea how I'm, hard it I'm is biased. anymore <laughs> I'm, I'm biased because i've been completing the game since i was like 10 yeah you know i yeah i was probably about 10 years old when i first beat that game i mean i was born in 82 the game came out in 91 so 
and I was playing it ever since it came out. So I, I yeah, <laughs> I'm a little biased, but I can bolt through it like nothing. Like I could probably play it with my eyes closed and still kind of know where the platforms are and still make it through some areas. I should try that sometime. I would love uh, to. I'll watch that too. <laughs> <laughs> a true blind let's play. This is uh, available on the Wii U as well. And every time I pass through it in the virtual console, I'm like, ooh, I don't want to pay $8, but I do. I would recommend it because it's it's being output via HDMI. You see every pixel, and the game looks beautiful playing through the Wii U. Uh, and I did buy that as well, actually, uh, during October. <laughs> um, but that was actually because I already had it on the Wii, so I could upgrade for a dollar fifty. Nice. So if I didn't have it, um, I probably wouldn't have spent the eight bucks for it. Um, but uh, yeah, or if you see a loose cart on Super Nintendo, I know you can output your SNES through, or upscale it through your XRGB Mini. I think. Yep. Um, play it that way too. So. But yeah, I mean, I don't really even know what to say about the game. You guys have probably heard me rant on it about. <laughs> you should actually uh, rant on about uh, it before. But your video of that, Austin, is is really entertaining. So we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. And uh, if you really want a full, you know, hour long, what Austin thinks about this game, or do you just want to be entertained <laughs> for an hour, I, I highly recommend it. It's very entertaining. Very good. <laughs> And I had my brother on that episode too, so ah, he's uh, right. he could be an oddball sometimes. So he's kind of like the comedic relief. <laughs> <laughs> Throws out some jokes that I just was not like expecting, and, and we were wonder. both also taking we were also taking shots at the same time because it was like the finale of the marathon. So, <laughs> and they have completely different accents, uh, which will always baffle me. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> All right, Austin, anything else before we move on to the worst five games of 2013? No, let's get on with it. All righty. Austin, uh, so number one would be the worst game, and then number five is where we'll start, and that won't be as bad. So I'm going <laughs> to... I haven't ordered you can, mine. You can kick it off, Chris. <laughs> the fifth... I don't even know how to say it. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Commando on the NES, Austin. Ooh. It's my fifth worst game of the year. Um, really big fan of shooters um, and uh, run-and-gun style games. And Commando on the NES is an overhead run-and-gun style game made by Capcom, I believe. And uh, based on an arcade game, and it's pretty terrible. Uh, the graphics are horrible. Uh, the graphics and collision and everything actually feels rather glitchy and inconsistent. And uh, the shooting and the enemy placement is just kind of a mess. And it's it's not really that much fun to play at all. I want to say that game was actually, and likewise with Ghosts and Goblins, was actually ported not really by Capcom themselves. But, Their I mean, interns. they did the original arcade <laughs> games, but... Yeah, they they fished it out to a, like a contractor or a different company basically to do it for them, uh, and both of those conversions turned out kind of poorly. Uh, one of their arcade ports, though, Trojan, was actually a pretty faithful conversion, and it was a really fun game. But uh, Commando, I have to agree with you. That's uh, there are good versions to be had, like on the Atari seventy eight hundred. Apparently, that version of Commando was pretty solid. <laughs> That's strange. Nice. I know, strange, right? <laughs> Usually. It, doesn't work out like that no. when it comes to Atari 7800. No. Um, 
But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah, supposedly a little bit better or a lot better than the NES. It couldn't one. be worse, so I totally same would with, believe that. Same with the uh, Ikari Warriors. Supposedly, it's a lot better on the seventy eight hundred than it is on the NES. Um, so yeah, I definitely have to agree with you on that one. I, I tried playing Commando on the NES multiple times, and I just couldn't. Yeah, yeah like you said, it was glitchy. We did it <sighs> two mean, player, which should make it easier to play, and it's still not any fun. Yeah, I did it one player, and I was wrecking through <laughs> it, but I still thought it sucked. <laughs> yeah, not a lot of fun to be had. All right, Austin, All your right. number five. Worst My game. number five is, uh, and you know, I'm actually kind of mixed on this, but you know, part of me putting games on my list isn't just because it's a bad game. It might actually be kind of good at certain parts, but this one gave me a really frustrating experience, and thus it has landed itself on my list. And that is the very original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game for the NES. And you know, first few stages, I actually love this game. Great game. I mean, I the soundtrack, you know, the kind of edgy look to the turtles in it. Um, the kind of unique platforming gameplay. I can't really say there's another NES game that f- looks and feels anything like the first TMNT on the NES. But the game is so unbalanced. By the time you get to the final stage in the game, it it's so extremely difficult. The level design is meant to kill you. Left and right, like, you'll fall down a screen. Oh, look, you fell into a big pit of spikes that you didn't know was going to be there. (laughs) Oh, but hey, get this. Limited continues. Three continues, and you got to go all the way back to the title screen. And it takes you, like, an hour to get to the end of the game. Yeah. If you can even get that far, because it's a really tough game. Um, So I actually did a Let's Play on this this game uh, earlier on in the year, I believe. And, you know, the first half of the Let's Play, I'm like, yeah, Ninja Turtles, and singing happy thoughts about it you know to my listeners and then by the end of the video it's just f-bombs left and right because <laughs> it was actually it was actually the first time i had ever experienced the final stage in the game I like think... i thought the tech i thought the technodrome was the last boss but i beat the technodrome on the video and i'm like oh wait there's more <laughs> Uh oh and then i just start getting my ass kicked left and right because like i said that final stage is just absurd and um so that is that was one of my most frustrating experiences with a video game in 2013. Um, maybe not the worst game I've one of the worst I played. Like there's probably worse I have actually played, but I did not th- spend a lot of like hardcore time on bad games this year. You know, yeah, like I, I don't have I, like 20 games that are just awful, and you know I beat them well, all. Well, you know what? Same here. Like uh, most of the games I played, like seriously, like not games I just loaded up on the flashcard, played for two minutes. I'm not going to put those on my list. You know, I haven't given them enough time, mm-hmm. uh, even though there were some really bad games I played. But uh, you know, I one of the main stipulations for my list was I'm going down my let's play list I've done mm-hmm. for the last year and my long plays and things like that because those are games I've actually really played. Yeah. You know, I try to complete those games on video, and so you know, it was a little tough compiling this list. I have a couple games on here that I didn't do videos of, surprisingly, um, but uh, the first two I did do videos of, and they were kind of frustrating. So. But uh, what's your next one, Chris? Uh, number first one? four. I'm going to go with Miracle Space Race on the original PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> that game is what a joke. 
<laughs> the, the biggest issue with the game, um, and I did a video review of this, is that it's only actually a quarter of a game. And the other th- 75% of the game are over three other releases. So um, this is a, a port of a popular new one game, um, which I, what is it, Merlin Racing? Yeah. Which is a sequel of sorts to Atari Karts. Uh, which I absolutely love, um, but the 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 worst part about Miracle Space Race is the fact that you're basically getting three tracks, and this is like a full game, and uh, there's just not much gameplay there. I think I said in my video, you know, you should be able to beat this thing in 35 minutes, and and then that's it, uh, which is not what I expect from a kart racing game. You know, from a kart racing game, I expect you know unlockable tracks unlockable characters uh increasing difficulty and many 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 hours of of gameplay um and it's just not there uh, well miracle space race i was watching videos of it and for one i don't know if it's an exact port of merlin racing because the tracks they don't look anything like the ones i found in merlin racing it doesn't, or at least it does not have the graphical effects of the new on that's for sure like the new on version yeah. seems to have like texture smoothing and whatever else the new one does oh yeah it looks like an n64 it's new on games usually look between n64 and like dreamcast level so it looks blurred like an N64 game, but it has more detail than a lot of N64 games. You know, it's kind of hard to describe, but uh, when I was watching your Miracle Space Race review, the tracks looked really, really, like, claustrophobic. Um, maybe I have to watch the review again, but uh, I, that was a vibe I got when I watched it. I've, I've picked up another piece of it, uh, ATV Racers, and then uh, there's two other ones that I would <laughs> like to get. Because I do think the the level designs do change. In Miracle Space Race, you're basically... The three tracks are like these tubes. And that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. I think ATV Racers has some more open style. I'm not really sure. I'm just not okay. familiar with Merlin. You're probably racing. on like actual carts. Kind of like Atari yeah, carts. Yeah, ATV Racers has like ATVs. And then there's the boat levels. And I'm going to assume they all handle exactly the same. Because that's the impression I'm getting while watching videos, but uh, we'll see. Um, a funnish $2 game, but uh, just, you know, Still it's only the $25. 25% there, and that makes yeah. it bad. You can get $2 games like Jet Moto that are all there. <laughs> I got, uh, <laughs> oh, well, I want to, I will save this for next week, Austin. Speaking of uh, $2 games, I did score F0X for $2 on the N64. Oh, very nice. Nice deal. Nice deal. $2 well spent. Uh, just, just a tip when you play that game, make sure you uh, use your shoulder keys a lot to, when you go around like sharp corners or even not even sharp corners sometimes, uh, those are coming key or those are key to like not basically like spinning out mm-hmm. uh, when you go really fast around a corner because you will definitely spin out and have zero x something that didn't exist in the, the super nintendo version um and then likewise make sure you're very uh you finesse the analog stick because the game likes it when you make uh turns really nice and smooth mm-hmm. if you jerk it you're probably going to slide out yeah. and spin out again um, and then just milk the boost once you get through your first lap. God, I love that game. We, will. we should do some like time trial runs. <laughs> you should get used to the game. We'll pick a track and do like a like, YouTube do time thing. trial runs and like yeah, compare notes uh, and times. You know, uh, that's one of my favorite things to do in that game is just playing the time trial mode. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so <sighs> two weeks from now, we'll talk more in depth about uh, F Zero X for sure. 
Austin's awesome been waiting for me to get that for a long time. <laughs> All right, Austin. Although it'll be interesting to hear what you have to say about it because you're not a huge fan of the Super Nintendo one. So, <laughs> what's but, your uh, number anyway, four worst game? <laughs> my number four worst game, guys, is uh, Castlevania Adventure for the Game Boy. Uh, again, I was doing a Castlevania marathon, and this was one of the games I covered. And uh, you know, I like the game, but really, it's not a very good game, especially not a very good Castlevania game. Uh, it's just so slow. Is this the uh, first uh, Castlevania game? First first one on Game Boy, right. yeah. And it looks okay for an early Game Boy game, and this was a very early Game Boy game. So it looks okay for an early Game Boy game. It's got some really catchy music, but it's just so slow. Yeah. And it's uh, you're jumping... Is, has this weird arch to it as well. And you, you jump and you almost don't even go very, you don't really go anywhere when you jump forward. It's like, not even like a character's width. It's, it's a tough game. It's hard. Uh, the last boss is really tricky and you could kind of see that in the Let's Play video I did. But I'm sure a lot of you guys have played it and will agree with me. It's just such a sluggish it game. It's hard really to recommend. Awkward. It's hard to recommend. Yeah. I mean, if you're a huge Castlevania fan like myself, Pick it up, you know, try it out. Um, but and uh, I have it in the collection because I love Castlevania. And I did revisit it, but it's not one I can recommend. And it's probably one of the worst I've played this year. So what's your next one, Chris? Zool 2 on the Jag. I was actually surprised to see that I uh, played this last year, Austin. But uh, I reviewed <laughs> yeah, it too. at the beginning of the year. So I guess I did. Um, you and I, you know, we've probably talked about this a couple of years ago. I have very mixed uh, feelings on Zool 2 for the Jag, but I just yeah. don't like it. And I yeah. have probably put 40 hours into this stupid game, and it still has yet to grow <laughs> on me. I, uh, You know me. I love the game, but I'm also... I. I can just run through it like it's nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, even those last few stages, which are extremely frustrating. Yeah. Um, but I like the graphics and the music and the sounds, and because I'm used to the gameplay, it just feels cool to me. Few, but uh, the things in particular yeah. I don't like um, are just the inconsistencies in the enemies. Which ones? Um, oh, let's see. I think some things you can jump on and some you can't. Tr- well, it's no, it's well, yeah. There are some enemies that have like spikes on their heads. I want to say you can't jump on them, uh, but there's also enemies that take more than one hit. Oh, there are enemies and you can't those spin enemies, into. You have to shoot them. Yeah, because what happens is you hit their their top half and you break it, but then their lower half is still there and it hits you and you de- it deals damage. So yeah, enemies that take two hits, you have to shoot. Otherwise, you'll take damage. Um, enemies that take one hit, you can jump spin into them to your heart's content. So, uh, but there's only a certain style of enemy that usually requires two hits. It's always guys that crawl along the ground and, you know, they're just nuisance enemies for those guys that like to run around Sonic the Hedgehog style. And I don't really recommend doing that in Zul 2. So, uh, it's fast like Sonic, but it's not... Yeah, it doesn't totally play like gameplay it. style. So the issues no. I have are, well, if you bump the up button, you jump, which I always find annoying in console games, especially with the sloppy D-pad on the Jag controller. Um, the the way the game wants you to move really fast, but the fact that you have to be constantly spinning or you have to stop and shoot enemies kind of breaks the flow of the game. Um, and some of the level design is really awful. Um, the the snakes and ladder level I just find to be a tedious chore and not much fun at all. 
Um, but as I've played Austin, the I think it's the third set of levels, the Tutankhamen, the Egyptian theme levels with the invisible platforms. Parts of that I find to be actually kind of enjoyable and creative as uh, the years of playing this game have gone by. But as a yeah. whole, I, I find it to be very sloppy and uh, not really much fun at all. Yeah. And that's why it's on my list. It is pretty, though. And some of the music is really, really good. Yeah. So there are yeah, some pluses. Zool 2 is kind of either like a love it or hate yeah. it kind of game, you know, and... As you've done, Chris, you played it a lot, and you still don't like it, so uh, I know which camp you fall in. Someday I will beat um, it, and I will still probably next... hate it. <laughs> probably. Ahead, number three. Uh, my next game on the list, number three, is Spinball or Flipper Pinball for the Vectrex. And this is one of those games I actually got with the system. And, uh, you know, it's the kind of game that has a lot of potential. You know, it's actually kind of got a cool play field layout. It's got multi-ball, which is what? something that not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of pinball games did back in the early 80s. Digital pinball games, I mean. Um, but the physics are just so terrible. And like with how fast the ball bounces around the screen, kind of like a bumbling idiot. Yeah. It's just like doing things a real ball is not supposed to do. And it's very hard to control. Like even just getting it caught on a flipper yeah. is almost useless. It's not really a very good game. That was definitely one of the worst games I played this year. <laughs> and surprisingly, that was the only dud I really got in the Vectrex. Every other game I played has been pretty decent. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a novelty. It's fun to just kind of screw around with. Uh, and I'm not going to complain that I have it. I'm glad I have it and I've played it, but it's not a really good game at all. So don't play it. <laughs> What's your next, Chris? My second worst game of 2013 is Street Racer on the PlayStation. This is a... And you know, that had so much potential. I remember when... We both picked you, it up. Before you bought it for the first time. We both picked it up, and I never actually played it. I... <laughs> and then I sold it. <laughs> <laughs> I did beat the, uh, the first... I don't know. Whatever the first thing is I beat. Maybe I beat the whole game. I don't... Re the menu... It was. It's bad. It looks really nice. The screen, the frame rate is 60 frames a second, and it's got polygons, um, but uh, it, it's it's bad. It's one of those games, um, you know, Austin, you know how in Atari carts, the levels are, or the, the tracks are actually kind of short they and simple? They suck. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's worse than that. It, it truly is worse than that. I don't even know how that's that. possible. They're I mean, shorter Atari and carts worse. Is... It, it's bad. <laughs> Um, the, the controls are bad. Um, the way the, it feels like a mode seven game and then mixing that with polygons and it, it's more slidey. I, I can't even explain it. Really. All I ever did was, uh, stayed in second place and then passed first place with boosters on the final lap over and over and over. And it was just mindless and bad. So yeah, totally disappointing. Uh, very cheap though, and uh, if you do like, you know, that mode seven early kart style of racing games, you you might find some enjoyment there. Um, but yeah, see, I still want to give it a try because I know you're very picky about your AI and racing games, and that if it's too easy like that, you don't really enjoy it. But I li I kind of liked stupid AI yeah. because I, I'm not a fan of like say Sega's AI where it's rubber band mm -hmm. AI a lot. And you could never get the first place yeah. because of just how the AI is programmed. That's just frustrating That's to me. That's Street Racer. Um, You'll never yeah. get a big lead, and your opponents will never get that far out in front of you if you mess up. You see, up. you might not like F-Zero X after all, because that AI in the lower difficulty levels 
But at least she had difficulty levels. Never mind. <laughs> I want to like own it. I want to destroy my competition. <laughs> like uh, bring back Atari carts, which I'll have to play next year, so I can put it on my top five list. Like, no, if, don't do that. I've. I put up that video where uh, on one of the cups, I just absolutely slaughter the game, like just owned it pretty much flawless runs on, you know, five straight tracks. And uh, I like that when I can just <laughs> win by 20 seconds because I earned it. I put in the time to yeah. memorize the maps, to memorize the item locations and when to use them. And, uh, you know, you get rewarded for but that. Basically, what you're saying is you're getting that 20 second lead because you know the tracks and you've practiced. Whereas in Street Racer, you're getting that lead just because, because the game gives it to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you had barely even played the yeah. game. There's, I, okay. I, I get, I get you it. You might it. like it more okay. than I did. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it'd be like, Chris, this is crap. <laughs> the 60 frame a second, though, is pretty cool to see on such an early game. But yeah, that's number two. Number two for me is Cliffhanger on the Sega CD. Uh, it's bad. You know, I had a Sega CD <laughs> so bad. run, uh, you know, earlier on in the year, probably about, you know, mid-year, summertime. Uh, went on a Sega CD binge, which is what I usually do. I'll put the system away, and then a year later, I'll bring it back out, and then I'll just binge on Sega CD for a month or two. And, uh, you know, Cliffhanger is one of those Sega CD games that I think had a lot of potential. Like, it's not... It's really two games in one. Yeah. And there might even be other modes that I'm not aware of, just because I haven't made it very far. But it's basically a beat-em-up. A bad But then, um, not, not a bad beat-em-up. It's just not great. It's I would say it's kind of the lower end of between bad and mediocre. It's playable. <laughs> it could be enjoyable if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Like it's got, I think it's got like dashing and, and dash attacks and things like that, which is kind of cool. Um, but occasionally it'll break out into a snowboarding section, um, and this snowboarding section. Uh, it takes place in a third-person perspective, and actually, I believe it uses the same engine as the racing segments in uh, Batman Returns for the Sega CD, yep. which is awesome because, yes. like, those were awesome. <laughs> some of the best graphics on the Sega yeah. CD, and they were a lot of fun to play, even though the later ones were super frustrating. Uh, but Cliffhanger just has no sense of level design on these snowboarding sections, and they just throw – you're going down these hills – and for one, let me throw out, you're being chased by an avalanche, and if you get hit by something and the avalanche covers you, you die. Um, it, it almost feels like I'm playing, uh, going down these hills. They throw so many obstacles at you that slow you down and then eventually kill you that it's just, it's absurd. It's not any fun. Um, just go watch a video of it. I can't even describe how many stupid items there are on the play field that you it's have to avoid. It's impressive looking. It, it is. It's very impressive looking, and I think that's why some people like it, but it's such a terrible playing <laughs> game. It's no fun. I never and even this, made like, it to those. The very first snowboarding section looks like it should be something that is at like the very end of Batman Returns on the Sega <laughs> CD. It's that difficult. Right from the very beginning of the game, basically. So... Awful design choices there. You know, the beat-em-up's not that great, but it's tolerable, you know? So if you like the beat-em-up portion, you might want to try Cliffhanger on the Genesis because there are no <laughs> snowboarding sections, or at least not. I, I don't know how that game works, but there definitely aren't any, like, on the Sega CD. No. Um, yeah, because, yeah, that's using the Sega CD's built-in scaling hardware. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, 
a lot of potential just kind of wasted. But that's can be said for quite a few Sega CD games, I yeah. think. So, but uh, what's your your worst, worst game, game of uh, of twenty thirteen is Checkered Flag <laughs> on the Atari Jaguar. Austin, I swear every couple of years, what are you talking about? I put a this in game, and try and be like, okay, I can do this. I can win a couple races and then make a compelling video. Um, like I, you did- know what? I'm the same way. I'm like a, an apologist for checkered flag for some reason on the Jaguar, and then I play it, and I'm like, yeah, it's about unplayable. That thought it, it is. <laughs> it's terrible. It, the <laughs> If the controls weren't so bad, I think I could get around the bad graphics. Um, and the bad frame rate. And the bad frame rate. Um, but the steering is broke. It, it literally does not work. You, The longer... <laughs> there's no linearity to the it steering. It literally does not work. The longer you hold left, the faster you will dart to the left. So instead yeah, it of it kind being, of simulates like an analog setup, sort of. Sort of, except for sort of. That means you can't yeah. turn because if you have a left turn coming out, coming up, you can try and tap the left button and try and make it through the turn, and it doesn't work. You smash into the wall, and then if you try and hold the D-pad, you will just immediately be ripped off the track into the wall. And no matter what you do in this game, you are going to drive into a wall. And basically, don't hold it enough. Don't hold it enough. You smash it. into don't the opposite it. wall. Just don't play hold it. Hold it, and you <laughs> smash into the internal wall. It's like no matter what you do, you're going to smash into one of the two walls on the side of the track on every and single turn of every single. Yeah. Bad. It's so unbelievably it's, flawed. I cannot believe they I, released it. And you know what I found out when we were when I used to run the Jaguar High Score Club over at Atari Age. People are in denial. Uh, we would play checkered. <laughs> we well, there's that. There's a few people in denial. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of people there that absolutely love checkered. No, you flag can get used like, to it. It's, it's my, fine. It's my favorite racing game ever. <laughs> play virtual <laughs> racing. Let's okay. get real here. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, um, but no, I noticed that when you put it into the first-person perspective, it all of a sudden, like, controls better. Like, it's uh, it doesn't, like, you tap right, and your car just jerks right real quick, and then it stays on that path. So, I found it was a lot easier to play in first-person mode. Uh, the controls were better for some reason. But the problem with first-person mode is that, um, well, the frame rate still sucks, and you're so low on the track, you're so low on the track, you, you can't, can't even, like, really see a turn coming up. So it's like, oh, the controls work! Oh, but I can't see my turn, so I still crash into the wall anyway. Um, it was a little more tolerable, but, you know, the game is still by no means recommendable at all. I mean... Checker Flag is responsible like- for the bad reputation of the Jake. <laughs> It is, you know, quite possible. It got horrid reviews back in the day. It, um, you know, I like the simplistic graphics, yeah. you know, because my first 3D polygonal games were modes. I'm sorry, Super FX games on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Those are my first 3D polygonal games, like Star Fox. Um, and, you know, so I have a soft spot for flash shaded polygons, especially in the Jaguar, you know. If the game had run at a nice frame rate and the controls had been good, the game would be good. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. I mean, it's the track designs aren't that bad. No. You know, it's the graphics kind of look crappy, but they're charming. The actual track courses are fine. You know, it's 
indie style racetrack sort of it gets really fast which i like um it's just uh, the frame rate is terrible and it is uh, a chore to control <laughs> it's fruit. and the music even as crappy as it sounds i kind of like it in like some weird kind of way but yeah absolutely awful game not recommendable at all so on that note, Chris, I have I don't want to say an equally bad game, but it's still pretty bad. Um, it's another Sega CD one, and it's Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> I have not played uh, it, man. This is another one of those Sega CD games that every time I go on a Sega CD bench, I'm like, just like you and Checkered Flag, I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe I'm just doing it wrong or something, <laughs> you know? And I go back. And I'll usually just like rebuy the game because Starland will have like a disc only copy for like a dollar fifty or something. And I'll buy another copy and try it again and then remember why I had <laughs> sold it in the first place. Um, it's a side scrolling action platformer, not really even platformer, more like just like almost like kung fu meets werewolves and bats and spiders and green slime and whatever else they can toss at you that None of which was probably in the original Bram Stoker's Dracula movie, by the way. Um, this is uh, this game's actually based off the Keanu Reeves one from the early 90s. Um, and thus, because it's on CD technology, they take some clips from that movie and, uh, and play them throughout it as well. Yes. Unfortunately, they blow it up full screen. It is so pixelated. It just looks horrid. It looks awful. Um, but the gameplay is just terrible. It it reminds me of like Shadow of the Beast on crack. <laughs> and um you know, Shadow of the Beast a lot of people don't like because it's very memorization heavy. Uh the enemies come out of the screen fast and so you have to react very quickly to attack. But it's never really overbearing in Shadow of the Beast. It's usually just one or two enemies on the screen at a time occasionally. In Bram Stoker's Dracula it is a constant flood of enemies coming from both sides and your character has to be one of the stiffest moving characters in video game history you can punch you can kick low and god he looks so goofy when he kicks low uh and you could do this like goofy ass jump kick straight up into the air and that's about it those are his only attacks his jump arc is terrible it is so stiff and hard to predict where he's going to go and land um just watch a video on it, especially later on in the game, and it's just uh, it's an effort in futility trying to play that game. Um, you know what I like about it though is the backgrounds are actually kind of cool. It reminds me of like uh, the first Killer Instinct arcade game or Killer Instinct Two more specifically, where they basically use like full motion video as the backgrounds, but it scrolls along in such a manner like the video will stop if your character has stopped. So when you push the screen, the video continues to scroll. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of a cool effect, you know? They made a cool use of the CD technology, but the gameplay is so bad, and it's almost <laughs> broken. Like, even on the very first level, like, you get to this boss, but it's not really a boss. Mm -hmm. It's just these lightning bolts start striking down, and they have blast radius, like it's a rocket from Doom or something. And... It, there's some parts where it's almost impossible to avoid these these bolts and blasts, and they kill you in like one hit, just about. It's uh, it's bad. Go watch some videos of it, guys. Check it out. 
Uh, and if you have played it, any of these games, actually, post some comments down uh, over on the uh, the podcast page at implantgames.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts, especially on these bad games like Cliffhanger and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, it's They're bad. Yeah. So I'd have to say that's the worst I played this year. I mean, <laughs> I mean, almost Cliffhanger was worse to a degree because the snowboarding segments. But Bram Stoker's Dracula is just—I find it to be not even worth trying at all. You know, no, no redeeming qualities aside from the backgrounds and maybe the creepy uh, soundtrack in the background that's good for Halloween time. You know, <laughs> actually, what you could do is. Next Halloween, Chris, when the trick-or-treaters are coming around and you got your spooky music playing, you can have your Sega CDX hooked up and have Bram Stoker's Dracula playing yes. in the background. Or just make him play a level. That would, if you could beat this that'd level, be the cheapest, I would give you candy. That would or be that. the cheapest Halloween music CD you'd ever have to buy. I mean, you don't, don't even display the game. <laughs> just play the audio out. It's like, awesome. it's creepy, you know? So that's a redeeming quality, you I can guess. Use the I don't CD buy my video games CD. to... <laughs> no, but with the CDX, you can it'll load the game and it'll be playing the game in the background, just not output to your television. Oh, you I follow. Alright, Austin. We have four items left to talk about. So for these last two categories, uh we just picked one game each. So should we start with the uh the negative or should we start with the positive? Um, we'll go ahead and start off with the positive since we just talked about five uh, negative right items on, right back on. to back. Okay. Biggest surprise of the year. Yeah, I'll go first this time. Uh, and for me, it's one we've actually already talked about this episode. And my biggest surprise was Princess Rescue on the 2600. Um, you know, I've talked about it multiple times in the past on this show. But when, you know, I was following the game's uh, development early on. Um, when the guy that made the game posted a few screenshots of like work in progress levels, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool." Uh, but what happens with me and homebrews on places like Atari Age is like, I'll, I'll I'll find out about them and I'll follow them for like a week, and then I'll just kind of forget about them until they're released. And that was the case with Princess Rescue. So I didn't really see its development progress through time. I just bought the cartridge when it was made available because I loved the first Super Mario Brothers. And, um, wow, when I popped that sucker in and I did my first playthrough, uh, I was floored. And my first main playthrough of this game, mind you, I actually did mm -hmm. on video as well. It's, I've got a Let's Play up there on YouTube. Um, and so you can check that out as well and basically see my very first impressions as I was playing through the game. And you can definitely tell in the video, I was really impressed with it. And I still am. Uh, so that is definitely my biggest surprise of the year. But uh, since we talked about it already, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. <laughs> uh, my biggest surprise of the year was Sonic Colors for the original Wii. Now, Austin, I think you've owned and played this game uh, years ago when it was actually new and relevant. Yes, but even, even more recently in this last year, I did play it as well. Um, so after beating so. Sonic Lost World, um, I did go buy Sonic Colors, and then I had to buy a Wiimote, and then I didn't like it, so I had to then buy a classic <laughs> controller um, to finally play Sonic Colors, and uh, I was absolutely blown away, Austin. Um, I think I beat it in just a couple of days, and I just sat there for hours for a few days and uh, just plowed through it and uh, thought it was absolutely amazing. Um. Yeah, I don't know what other word to use. So, prior to this, I, I did 
play through Sonic Generations and Sonic Lost World, um, so I wasn't expecting to, to go back uh, a couple of games and then you know find out that I actually enjoyed it quite a bit more. Um, but it really reminded me of like the 2D classic Sonic games, to be quite honest, Austin. It reminded you of good Sonic games. Yeah, like you know the last good 3D Sonic game to me was always Sonic Adventure on the Dreamcast and then starting with Sonic Adventure 2 I didn't really like them and then they just started becoming universally bad Um, so I'm sure Sonic Colors must have been a really (laughs) big surprise when it was released Um, but it does such a really good job of blending uh, the class, there's a lot of 2D platforming in it which I really really enjoy and uh, I thought the level design uh, from the beginning of the game to the end of the game was really really good um, and just fun, fun to play through. Uh, a lot of good platforming bits. Uh, a few frustrating parts that were a little challenging uh, or cheap, I guess would be the right word, but nothing too offensive. Um, I thought the final boss battle was actually difficult and uh, it took me many, many tries to get through it, um, which is like the exact opposite of Sonic Lost World, which was kind of a joke. Um, and uh, just the whole way the game comes together and and just the freedom they had in all the different level designs um the graphics and the style and uh austin i i thought it was fantastic i I love the way it was yeah i mean you wrote a glowing review about (laughs) it and uh yeah you were definitely talking about it right after you got it one of those games where i picked it up thinking oh this will be fun i'm gonna have to force myself to play through it before i move on to my next game and i was absolutely captivated and and couldn't put it down yeah no even a couple of years ago, I, I was remember even on the podcast. I think just recommending you to pick it up because yeah. it was. But you didn't have a mm-hmm. Wii. That's the thing is, uh, is I recommended it to you. But uh, I'm glad you finally got around to checking it out. Uh, I've yet to complete the game. I probably won't because I, you know, sold my copy. <laughs> well, that's one reason. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I traded it in, so I will. Uh, you know, when it's like a five dollar game, I might revisit it because I still have my save mm-hmm. file. But no, it was definitely good. I, I put a, a few hours into it, and uh, like you said, you can bolt through it pretty quickly. And uh, the early stages, especially, were nice. I love the first stage. Yeah. It's got a great backing oh, music. music. You know, it's like a good entry <laughs> level. Yeah. So yeah, Sonic Colors is a great game. If you guys want to check it out, you can get it for twenty bucks, brand new, at any big box retailer like Best Buy or yep. Walmart or whatever. Um, and if you want to buy them used, it's probably like a $10 game, which I think that's what you paid at a yeah, pawn shop. Yeah, 10 bucks. So. The only place, Austin, it's getting more difficult to find Wii games. My local Target still has it for 10 uh, I believe for nineteen ninety nine. And uh, my yep. local Best Buy doesn't seem, I don't think they have any more than maybe five or six Wii games anymore. Starting yeah. early. I, uh, I, was, I was up there at my Best Buy earlier tonight actually picking up a... Uh, playing charge kit for my xbox one controller and i saw a couple copies of it there um granted best buy also has their used section now and i want to say certain used games by them they're basically like brand new like they have legitimate factory street Mm -hmm. crap on them still uh so you can get a game like that for a used price in good condition but it's cheap Um, and uh yeah and amazing yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess you would probably say even for the twenty bucks it costs, brand new, you would still yeah. recommend it for that the, price. It plays on the okay. Wii U without an issue, um, so there's no reason not to buy it. It's it. But you definitely recommend playing with the classic controller versus the remote. We talked about this when I first played it. It it plays just fine with the D-pad, surprisingly fine with the D-pad, even the 3D segments, which is really surprising. 
Um, the issue is, is that I would constantly bump the trigger button that's on the opposite side of the controller. Oh which yeah, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an issue. I think that it's the, the B button, yeah, which yeah. I think makes you shoot down. I don't remember exactly. Uh, so that was the issue: is I was constantly bumping the the button underneath, and that's what made it bad. And then, ironically enough, with the classic controller, you can't play with the D pad. You can only play with the analog stick, which is disappointing. Because I didn't mind the D pad, yeah. especially on the two the two D segments, but. The 2D segments, yeah, absolutely, yeah. See, I only played with uh, the Wii mode. I didn't play with the classic controller, so, uh, so, I mean, I didn't have a problem pressing the B button, but that's something I've actually kind of adjusted yeah. to over the years because I've been playing Wii for about five five mm-hmm. years now. Um, so, and that was something that, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I my thumb, my fingers even slip sometimes and tap the B button by accident. So, not the best design choice there, um, but. Uh, yeah, if you can uh, kind of discipline yourself, you can get around that. Get I don't used mind to having the classic um, controller in general, though, just for uh, like virtual console games and uh, other Wii games, and most Wii U games seem to support yeah, no, it too. Yeah, ab- no, absolutely. Yeah, I don't recommend the regular classic controller for like Wii U games, like uh, Sega and Sonic All Stars Racing Transformed. Uh, if you use the original classic controller, a couple of the keys, I like. The classic controller has two sets of L and R buttons, right? But um, you've got two normal size L and R buttons, but then you have these super teeny tiny ones on the inside of both uh, triggers. Mm-hmm. And Sega and Sonic All-Stars Racing Transform uses those L and R buttons uh. instead of the actual shoulder keys. And so, like, my brother and I were playing split screen, and I'm using the classic controller. Like, what the hell? Like, I'm... <laughs> pushing these tiny buttons on the top of the controller with my hand, uh, fingers arched around. Do you have so the weird. classic controller that actually has, like, the uh, the full grips? Yeah, it's the, class, it's the classic controller okay. pro, and it's, like, the same price. You know, it's totally worth the investment. Uh, I definitely recommend picking up that classic controller versus the original. I mean, the original, don't get me wrong, it's great for, like, NES, Genesis, uh, Super Nintendo, virtual console mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but if you're going to use it for like a modern Wii U game or something like that, uh, you might want to try the classic controller pro instead. Um, or in the case of the Wii U specifically, uh, you could use, uh, on Wii U games, just use the Wii U's actual yeah. controller. <clears throat> um, but, uh, anyway, Chris, let's move on. We, this is actually kind of a long episode, longer than usual, which I think is kind of nice. Uh, it'll probably clock in at about an hour and a half, uh, which I don't think we've done in a long mm-hmm. time. Um, uh, many of our early episodes were an hour and a half. One got close to two hours even, but, uh, biggest, yeah, most of our episodes these days are just <laughs> under an hour. So last <laughs> final category, the biggest letdown of the year. Um, and I like your answer better, Austin, so I'm going to go first. Um, <laughs> now, this isn't a bad game, but uh, for me it was something that I was really excited to play through, and I thought I would really enjoy it, and I just didn't. And that was Super Mario Land on the original Game Boy. Um, I know that a lot of people are a big fan of this game, but uh, I found the controls a bit too sloppy. And uh, I didn't really find the level design to be all that great. And just the whole weirdness. It, it look, It's a really strange-looking game. They tried to... My first issue with it, Austin, is the way they tried to fit like a full-framed NES game onto the Game Boy screen, which means everything is made up of very few pixels. And uh, yeah. 
the the jumping physics are completely wrong and uh i I just it didn't grab me at all and i did play through it to the end a couple of times um once uh just to beat it and then a second time to record the footage to do the review and uh it just it never grabbed me yeah it's probably not bad it's fine it's just i wanted it to be so much better than it was yeah no i i agree to a a degree (laughs) um I think when the game came out uh, at the time, like what nineteen launch game, I believe nine. Yeah, yeah, it was a launch game, and uh, you know, for the time, I think it was it was pretty cool. Um, but it obviously hasn't aged well, especially with having like Mar- uh, Super Mario Land two on it, which is like night and day. <laughs> you know, it would, and that looks like Super Mario Land two was such a big deal when it came out because it almost looked like Super Mario mm-hmm. World, but on the Game Boy yeah. screen, it was. A huge uh, enhancement over the original, but I like I well I'd say I I love the the Super Mario 3D. <laughs> Getting all the, <laughs> the millions of Mario wrong. games, yeah, the Mar- millions of Mario lands and whatever. Uh, but I actually love Super Mario Land because it's so unique, and you know I don't have a problem with the controls really because I mm-hmm. played it so much over the years, and you know we've talked about this one in the past, but I, I like it because it's unique, you know. Um, in a way, it's almost like the black sheep of yeah. the family the in Zelda terms of two legitimate of the Mario, Mario games. games. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Um, it's a decent platform. But it's, I think it's still a really fun game. Yeah, it's not expensive. You want to try it out. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, probably the best way to play it though is like play it in uh, play it inside an emulator that allows you to like slow the game down a little bit, like. Uh, boost the frame rate down by like mm-hmm. 75% and the game will be a lot more manageable and it'll actually it'll feel actually like look like it's game. running at normal speed. Yeah, it'll feel more like a Mario game. And I had talked about that on a previous episode where I used to run emulators on my Engage yeah. and the Game Boy emulator would run at like 80% and speed felt or something different. like that or maybe 70. The Super Mario Land felt perfect like at that speed slowed down. It was actually a lot more fun to play. Um so uh, my biggest letdown of the year, Chris, and I guess this is the last one we are going to be talking about. It is the Neo Geo X special. Did, edition. did you ever get a chance to play no. this? Absolutely. Yeah. Not. Well, I bought the limited edition, <laughs> the only uh, edition. I, I bought. Yeah, the only edition. This is available. Uh, it was supposed to be available. Go ahead. Uh, this is available to me at my uh, local used game store. So if I want, I could buy it. But uh, I'll take the Neo Geo CD. I think it's available to everybody because it seems like every used game store I've, I've been to has one of these yeah. now. And it's like, I think people are starting to unload them. Before the um, price drops to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, see, I bought mine. I actually originally wanted to get it when it first came out at like the $200 or whatever it cost. But then I was like, you know what? I can't really justify it because it's, I only have these, what, 16 games built in or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> at the time, there wasn't really any way to get games, other games onto it. Um, and it took Tomo forever to release their game packs separately. It wasn't until like four, five, six months later. It was ridiculous. Um, so I waited, and then I believe maybe in March, I want to say it was March or April, uh, Best Buy was liquidating them for $100 even. And I was like, ooh. So I jumped on it right away and just slapped it on the credit card and got it a couple days later. And, uh, <laughs> man, uh, I this... was really excited to open it. 
I was really excited to open it, and I know I've told this story before. The packaging looks great, but once I actually got into actually playing the unit and hooking it up to the television, I was just like, ah, had this like really dirty feeling, sort of, <laughs> and not even like in you a good way. You got ripped off. <laughs> yeah, everything looks nice. Uh, on the exterior but once yeah. you start like getting your hands on the joystick you realize how like cheap it feels compared to like an actual AES joystick yeah um, and then the feel of the unit uh, the handheld unit especially looks awesome but it feels cheap the D-pad or that sort of clicky micro uh, switch joystick on it feels cheap it's very mushy whereas on the neo geo cd controller it's very firm Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very solid feeling controller still great to this day neo geo x uh the handheld uh, d-pad tried to replicate that didn't really do a good job of it um then you had the uh the emulation issues the the sound that was off you had like tearing in the the screen which not everyone's going to re- uh, see but you know my eyes pretty Once keen to that, yeah. that type of that type of thing yeah and um you had tearing on both the composite outputs as well as the HDMI outputs is just um there was no actual like charging cable provided with the system for the handheld. Uh, in order to charge it, you had to hook the handheld into the docking station, which was big, just to charge it. So, um, <laughs> fortunately, I could use my smartphone cable on it to charge it. But that's something that should have been packaged in with the system. Yeah, uh, it was just it was poorly executed. Uh, it was a great idea, but just poorly executed, and. Um, it hasn't been supported very well. Uh, the the original <laughs> the original patches were breaking some systems. Uh, it's just yeah. I ended up trading mine in a couple months back. And keep in mind, I paid like a hundred dollars for it. They were offering like a hundred and twenty five in store credit. I was what? like, I'm getting rid of it. I'm getting my money back and putting it towards something else I want. So I got rid of my Neo Geo X a couple months back, and I'd have to say definitely that was uh, probably my biggest disappointment of t- 2013. So, and I, I have a feeling that was probably a lot of people's biggest disappointment for 2013. Now, granted, it was released at the end of 2012. I think most of us got our hands on it in 2013, and uh, yeah. <laughs> Not a very good system. No, it should have been really, really cool, and uh, just it should wasn't. have been. Yep, I agree, absolutely. Uh, and you know what's funny is you still can't get them handheld only, like packaged separately. It's like it's the Neo Geo X limited edition, but it's the only <laughs> edition, and we're still making them. So yeah. like, I don't get it. Like, uh, I was pretty sure Tomo was planning on doing like a separate handheld run just the handheld yeah. which would have been cool um like when you're on the toilet taking a crap like playing samurai showdown or metal slug it's all right you know but when you factor in you had to spend 200 dollars to get this it's not Poorly really all right in the end. yeah yeah if the handheld was available for like 50 or 60 bucks on its own i don't think how people would be these, looking at it as harshly how many of these old but, neo geo games have been like released on ios and android uh, well, I'm not sure about that. I haven't really been keeping up with SNK's offerings on those platforms, if they even have any. Yeah. Um, but I know that the games that are on the Tomo Neo Geo X have already been featured on a boatload of SNK compilations. Yeah. Like Just the, buy a PSP. Yeah. 
Exactly. Buy the PSP, grab that compilation, you'll you'll be good. And you'll spend PlayStation less. Portable, you can hook it up to a television. If you have the new models, you can hook it up via com- uh, composite as well. Older models require a component, but it looks really nice. Um, so, and I, I made that demonstration in my Neo Geo X system review and unboxing video I did. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason to get a Neo Geo X, especially when you have a PlayStation Portable uh, or a Neo Geo CD like us, Chris. Yep. So, so I... Uh, or the... Uh, there's a SAK compilation on the Wii, which is great. It's awesome compilation. You can, like, remap your controls. Use your classic controllers. You can use a, a, a Wii arcade stick if you want. And that's, like... A tenth of the price of the Neo Geo X, if that. I mean, just buy that. So, all right, Austin, are you ready to wrap this up? I am ready to wrap this up, Chris. This has been a long episode, Something but I, I think it's is uh, cooking in the background. <laughs> you can <it> smells <laughs> like it. <laughs> all right. Well, we hope. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, we actually did probably put more time into uh, this episode, or at least prepping for this episode, than we have in a while. So I hope that came through, and uh, I hope you enjoyed, you know, reliving uh, our 2013. Absolutely. So we'll be back with your regularly scheduled programming in about two weeks, uh, talking about just normal stuff. But uh, yeah, again, for me personally, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And, uh, you know, if we're still doing this podcast a year from now, expect the exact same thing for 2014. <laughs> Except for you can't pick Castlevania 4. Ah, damn it. And I can't pick Checkered Flag. <laughs> and I can't pick Mindstorm again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, we'll see y'all in two weeks. All right, take it easy, everybody. Bye.